What's up, guys? This is Spencer Inc. and Justin DeBleek. We're here at the first official Safe is Just a Podcast. We're going to be answering questions all night, everything you guys want to know about the original recording of Safe is Just a Shadow, as well as the re-release that comes out January 6th. Stay tuned. Hey guys, you were just listening to a little snippet from the new re-recorded version of The People Under the Stairs from our upcoming re-release of Safe is Just a Shadow. I'm sitting here with Justin DeBleek. Are you excited about the whole re-release, buddy? Yeah, I'm really excited, especially with this song because I had an opportunity to change up a little bit of the background instrumentation. Um, Since our release of Every Trick in the Book, we've kind of incorporated more orchestra to our music, and this song had some original... Uh, parts from the original release that that kind of started the 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 interest of having that in our music and it was really cool to revisit that and take some of the stuff that i learned for every trick in the book and kind of apply it to that song and give it like a new life in the in the orchestra world so uh, it was really cool putting that together it took a lot of time but you know like with anything i wish i had more time but it was uh it was really cool to to add new elements to that song that um were really just kind of like a vision uh, upon the first release of it. Absolutely. I, I think with doing any re-recording of an old album, you know, it gives an artist a chance to change things that they wish they had done on the original version. Uh, I think I can speak for all of us by saying that each of us has progressed as a musician and a songwriter since we recorded this album back all the way in 2010. So it was definitely a cool experience to sort of get a second shot at an album that we really liked that we feel didn't really get um, as big of a release as it should have. So we're not going to waste any time here. We're going to jump into some questions. Uh, Earlier on in the week, we posted on our social media asking you guys, the fans, about what what you wanted to know about this album. So our first question comes from Daddy Beersack. Why did you decide to re-record Safe is Just a Shadow? I think musicians in general when they look back at albums they've recorded in the past, there's always stuff in there that they wish they had done a little bit differently. It might be as simple as changing a guitar tone slightly uh, in a build-up to a chorus, or you know something as drastic as, as changing the way you sang something. But rarely does a band get a chance to actually go back and re-record an album and get to tinker and, and fix those little things that they think could make the album better. So when JD uh, proposed the idea to, to go back and re-record this album, I think we all jumped at the opportunity to get to do that and get to record the album and present it to you guys in a way that we feel it should have been presented in 2010 and also get to present the album with the look and aesthetic as far as artwork that we were never able to wrap the album in its previous incarnation and as he said about like looking back at our previous recordings or projects and you know i mean we're we're our own best critics i think i I like to think but at the same time um given the opportunity to go back and redo it is actually a a rare thing and and it was really exciting to do because for me like i i always loved re-recording things that i i did once before um even when i was a younger musician like 
I would write a song in before it actually had a, had any uh, release of any kind. I, I always seem to record it maybe three or four different times. Um, and I don't know if that's a normal thing for a lot of a lot of young musicians, but you know, it's it's like a it's like a learning curve. You know, you you get the opportunity to learn from the things you did differently and improve upon it. And having having something like uh, a song or a record to to use as a foundation, you know, the, every time you redo something, you have the opportunity to make it even better than the last, just by having the the uh, the platform being better than the last time you did it. So, um, in addition to that, you know, sonically, I've always wanted to improve upon a lot of the tones that we had, and uh, you know, kind of apply the different the different tricks and 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 such that we've learned over the years as recording musicians and studio engineers and it, it was really cool to be able to put new new material or new tones to this this record to kind of bring out all the little intricacies that we actually put into the writing our next question comes from erica stees she asks what song was the hardest to compose let me just give you guys a little bit of backstory on where we were as a band when we recorded Safe is Just a Shadow. This was at a point where we were reforming the lineup. I had started the band many years ago uh, with a guy named Jeremy Schwartz, who was on every release up until Safe is Just a Shadow. And Jeremy, after touring for you know several years, um, just decided that this isn't what he wanted to do anymore. He he really didn't enjoy the lifestyle of being a touring musician. And up until that point, Jeremy was the only person I'd ever written any original music with. Um, so hearing that he didn't want to do the band anymore was definitely a really hard thing to go through. And shortly after that, um, we had toured with this band called Remember Tomorrow from Rochester, New York on several occasions. I really liked the guys and I had heard uh, some stuff that JD had been working on on his free time that was more of a, a metal kind of a sound than Remember Tomorrow and I, I really enjoyed it. So when it was time to try to figure out, you know, what, what is the future of Ice Nine Kills going to be? If Jeremy's leaving. Am I going to stop playing music? Am I going to find other people? I decided to approach Remember Tomorrow. And since Inc. was, was a more established name at the time, asked them if they'd be uh, into the idea of becoming the new Ice Nine Kills with me. And after we all decided collectively that this was a good decision, it was time to work on new material for our upcoming release. And I think with, with any situation like that, when you're coming from an already established band that has an already established sound, working with completely new members and trying to figure out what the next uh, incarnation of Ink should be, it's going to be difficult. And it was definitely uh, a process that everyone struggled through. And I think Safe is Just a Shadow basically reflects a, a band trying to bridge the gap between two different bands. And I, I think that it came out really cool, but you know, I, I think JD and I would be lying to you if we told you that it was a super easy process. We, we had to get to know each other personally and um, as musicians and figure out what each of our strengths and weaknesses were and try to make the best product that we could at the time. Do you agree, JD? Yeah, I mean... We had six members in the band, so it, it was even less about 
Spencer and myself, you know, bringing our writing styles together and our our visions. But it was more about a six-member band that was, or I guess I should say a six-member group of people that were trying to make a band together and respect the old fans and the old style and also kind of, like you said, bridge the gap to this new style we were trying to do without alienating anybody behind us. So there was so many different struggles that six members can go through at the same time. And, and it, it did actually, in fact, come out in our, in our writing and our, our lyrics and our process. And, you know, it, this record didn't come together in like a, a month or two months, like a lot of records get, get to in this, in this part of the industry. It, um, it was actually re-recorded before it was released the first time. I remember we did this record down in Florida with uh, Tom Denny the first time around. And, you know the the experience was amazing. We spent two two months down there in uh, the tropical season in Ocala, Florida, which was not the best part. But bed bugs, lots of bed bugs, lots of bed bugs. We um, we spent a good amount of time with Tom Denny from A Day to Remember, and um, the 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 time spent there was was really was really unique for us because we had never had a chance to go to a, a real studio, work with someone that has a really great reputation. And we learned a lot along the way, and we wrote some songs in the studio. We, we changed a lot of structuring up with Tom, um, and I think it, it really crafted the songs into, um, into something really unique for us as, as this, this kind of connecting group of people that were in two different bands with two different visions. And he, he actually helped us bridge the gap in a really cool way. Um, we ended up needing to re-record that record because we actually found out we really weren't weren't ready to take on such a huge task. You know, we needed to work on the songs more. We ran out of time while we were down there. And um, suffice to say, it was it was really great having Tom Denny part of our process because when we came back and took everything that we learned from him and the songs that we wrote with him and the, the ideas that we that were sparked in the studio with him actually helped us second time around make this record really, really special and really, really cohesive uh, all across the board. I think something that was interesting along the process is that we got to work with another guy uh, named James Paul Wisner, who we had been a fan of, you know, from his work, from everyone from Paramore to Under Oath. And we got to take the material that we had worked on with Tom Denny, as well as our longtime producer, Steve Sopchak, and basically get James Paul Wisner's, um, you know, his take on what we had done. And I think he, he gave us some really cool tips um, for reshaping the song slightly, which was, uh, you know, a cool thing for us because we had been a fan of his work before. So I would say there's no real one song that was the hardest to compose to, to sort of get back to your question, Erica. The whole album was, was difficult to compose. And it it represents a band that was two bands coming together as one. And I think in any, any people in that situation, any musicians in that situation, it's going to be a difficult process, which it was, but we're very, uh, you know, happy with how the songs turned out the first time and even happier with how they turned out the second time around. Something I want to add from, uh, being down with James Paul Wisner is that this guy was, he, he was awesome. He had such a great reputation and he had really great records under his belt that we all loved. Like I remember walking into his house and, and seeing plaques on the wall from records that 
you know, have been on my iPod for, you know, I don't even know how long, but like, you know, Further Seems Forever and Paramore and Under Oath, like all these records that I, I've loved. And I wasn't even aware that I was walking into this, this situation with this guy that, that he had been such an in influential part of making these records. It was really awesome. So I remember, you know, being a young band, if anyone out there is in a, is in a band and you're early off in your, in your vision and your dream to, to be a touring musician, you know that there's, there's uh, turmoil and, and fights about, oh, the song should sound this way, or, or no, the chorus should be here, or there should be a bridge part here, and that guitar lead should be louder than this part, or you we don't even need that part, blah, blah, blah. You know, the fights go on between the band, and I remember just sitting in the studio with, um, with James, and we basically brought our material to him to say, hey man, how can we make this better? You've made great stuff. How do we how do we turn our stuff into something that could get your stamp of approval? And I remember we would listen to a song. He'd make some changes, cut it up on Pro Tools, and say, "Check this out." So we would listen to it, and then maybe a couple people were like, "Oh, that's really cool." I had never thought of changing it that way. Or someone else would be like, "No, I, I think it better the other way." And we would just be going back and forth, bantering between band members, like trying to explain with uh with like reasoning why it should be this way and i remember at one point james just cut us off at one point he's like listen guys this is just how i hear it and when he said that we all just kind of shut our mouths and we're like yeah this guy he knows what he's talking about i think i, I thought that was pretty cool and that's been kind of a, a a mentality that i've adapted when i'm working with maybe younger bands or other groups of musicians that you know, you may hear it one way, I hear it another way, your band members hear it a different way, but from my perspective as the guy that's just giving you advice, not telling you what to do, that this is just how I hear it. This question comes from Matrix H15. What song off the whole album was most challenging to write lyrically? I would have to say the first song on the record, which was Proximity Minds in the Complex, was the most challenging to write. I think musically, we knew that this was going to be the opening track. You know, from the very first time I heard it and sort of came up with the pattern of the vocals in the beginning it just sounded like an opening track and we really wanted that to illustrate you know sort of the overarching idea of this record which is you know striking back against adversity and Dave and I um, came up with some lyrics that I think really fit the whole mood of what we were going through with um, trying to get out of a very bad situation in the industry and basically showing that listen we you know we might lose we might lose this battle but we're not going to go down without a fight and we really wanted that song to come across in the right way without being you know overly confident but at the same time you know standing up for what we believed in and i, I think that 
after several rewrites of the, the song lyrically, I think it, it came out really nice. Right now, you guys are listening to a little snippet from Proximity Minds in the Complex off the newly recorded Safe is Just a Shadow album. And we're back, guys. Our next question comes from CX Bach X. What is the overall theme or concept of the album? Well, unlike our newest album, Every Trick in the Book, which had a clearly developed theme that every song was about a different novel, Safe is Just a Shadow didn't really have necessarily an overall concept or theme, but a lot of the songs turned out to be about what we were going through in the music industry. At the time of the recording, we were definitely in... A pretty bad position. Um, some relationships that we had formed in the industry had gone bad, and it had really affected how we were perceived by you know the industry as a whole, and affected what opportunities the band was able to get as far as touring and other you know opportunities that would help the band advance to the next level. So a lot of the lyrical content is about that. Uh, a lot of the lyrical content is about my feelings of having to transition to a different lineup and you know coming to terms with the fact that Jeremy wasn't going to be in the band anymore which was as I had said in another question uh, you know a difficult time for me and a difficult thing to process uh, if you listen to the lyrics of buildings burn people die that that's what that song is about but it's not a, a concept album but it definitely has a feeling of sort of rising against adversity and making the best out of, you know, a, a lousy situation. Our next question comes from Amazing Pahat Ass 11. I think that's uh, Fat Ass, actually, JD. Amazing Fat Ass 11. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. I get you. Yeah, you're probably right. I, I kind of uh, spaced out in the 90s, so I didn't really catch a lot of that. She sounds hot. She sounds pretty hot and tempting to me. <laughs> Okay, so her question, or his question, could be either or. What is your favorite song from this album to play? So I think, um, just to kind of give you guys an idea from a touring musician's perspective, sometimes you play certain songs in your set 
for years. Sometimes you play them maybe for one tour. Um, and you can imagine that the interest of playing certain songs changes and it goes through varying levels. You know, sometimes you, you say, oh, I'm really kind of sick of playing this song, but you play it because people want to hear it. So it doesn't really matter what we think. But for the sake of this question, I think um, from this album, luckily for me, I've always been able to say that Chris Brown's latest hit, which is track number three on this record, has always been my favorite from this record to play. Um, it just had it had so much energy. I remember playing it back in like 2010, and even before it was finished, you know, we still had shows that we were doing, and we were trying to play new material. Um, and that song was always really exciting to me because it had a lot of had a lot of aggression. It was fast. It had a lot of changing parts. Uh, the chorus was really really one of my favorites, and I was really proud of a lot of the guitar work that I did in that song uh, with between the leads in the chorus and the the little uh, leads that were playing uh, underneath the breakdowns and all the different layers and and such like I, I was just really excited to always bring that song up in, in a live environment and to this day it's actually still one of my favorite songs to play even though we don't get to play it as often with all the new material but um, yeah for, for me Chris Brown's latest hit is my vote for me my favorite song to play off this record has always been buildings burn people die this one is, is probably the most personal to me as it deals with my emotional state when finding out that you know Jeremy wasn't going to be a part of Ice Nine Kills anymore and sort of outlines the way in which I, I needed to cope with that. And for that reason, it's my favorite to play live. You know, I think that being in a heavy band and, and being the vocalist of a heavy band, especially live, it, it can be a very cathartic process and it's just a great way of sort of getting your demons out and when I scream that song at least back in the day when this album was originally released it, it was a, a very nice uh, way to you know get my feelings out in in what I f felt to be a, a positive way let's uh, give that song a listen shall we this is uh, track number two. It's called Buildings Burn, People Die, and it's actually a reference from a movie called The Crow. This song's actually extra special to me because it's the first song that I ever got to record with a band uh, that was on a seven-string guitar. It was really cool to me because I listened to a lot of metal bands um, when I was younger, like when I was in college, that were really heavy on the seven strings, and I always wanted to like have a song or, or be in a band where I could play the one seven-string that I bought for $300 at the House of Guitars in Rochester, New York. And uh, it was it was really cool to, to finally put together a song that was heavy hitting. You know, it had a lot of chugging, it had a lot of riffs, it had a really melodic chorus, and 
it was uh, in drop A on a seven string. So that was pretty cool for me. Look at how fly my will and I'll take back what's mine A new fell strength will take the blow This next question comes from Mr. Silvestre. He asks what our thoughts are on having to re-record the album without the original members. That's a very good question. When we did this album, there were two additional members in Ice Nine Kills, Dave Sealing and Shane Biznat. And both of those guys are fantastic musicians and really contributed a lot to the writing and forming of the original album. Um, Dave is uh, an incredibly gifted singer and lyricist and Shane was just a a great all-around musician and had great ideas about melodies and stuff so I would be remiss if I didn't uh, you know attribute you know a lot of the great things on this album to to both of those individuals Uh, recording it without them um, you know wasn't really too much thought about it because basically the material was already written and we were just you know, re-recording it and adding, you know, some new flair to to different elements of the record. Um, but, you know, it, it's a representation of the album with just me doing the clean vocals as opposed to the original one, which had Dave and myself doing the clean vocals. So that was uh, an interesting challenge for me. Dave sings very, very high on a lot of it. And um, I had to sort of train myself to be able to pull pull that off. Didn't you have uh, your testicles slightly altered for this? I did. Um, temporarily had my testicle removed. Oh, just uh, I actually just returned from the hospital last week because they put it back in. Ah. Um, but that definitely helped in the performance of some of those high vocals. Uh, thanks for bringing that up, by the way, JD. I, <laughs> I kind of told you to keep that on the down low. Yeah, my bad. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a interesting process having to do those vocals um but all in all it was a pleasant experience and it was definitely easier to make this record the second time around because hey these are the songs and no no more opinions on them right yeah like you said you know the the two guys that that are no longer in the band um they they contributed a lot in, in very different ways and uh for me like there was there was a lot of melodies that dave sang in for example, like Newton's Third Law, um, in in like the the later part of the song in the bridge, where he kind of has this like solo opportunity to to kind of work his range, and, and uh, that's always been one of my favorite things that he ever did. And that song came from uh, a previous band that we were all in called Remember Tomorrow, and that was one of our first songs that we wrote together. You know, I had been listening to uh, a lot of Misery Signals at the time, so it kind of came out in some of my guitar playing. Hope they're not mad at me for it, but <laughs> um, also with Shane, he, like Spencer said, he was just an amazing all-around musician. He he could play everything, and I could relate to that because I was the same way. I like to play every instrument, and that's how I do a lot of my writing. Is I I, I can kind of hear what I think each instrument should do, and at the same time, I can typically perform or or play or record those parts and kind of bring our our ideas to life throughout different band members and their ideas and such but Shane was was just as gifted with that and 
one of my favorite things that that he wrote on bass um, was in Evidence on Fire in the in the ending of the song. Actually, I should say it's more more of the bridge. Um, those songs came. That song also came from Remember Tomorrow as well. But some of our songs back then were a little less traditionally structured, so it's hard to kind of say what that part was. But uh, we'll play a little clip from it right now, and you can check out the, the bass part that he did there. So here you go. This song was additionally exciting to me too because I uh, I, I kind of redid some of the sampling work behind it as, as far as like the electronics and the 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 stuff that was kind of um, really popular back then when when this record came out. You know, there was a lot of electronic drum parts and dancey stuff and more computerized sound. I actually took a lot of those samples and I replaced them this time around with more orchestra and I it actually kind of changed the song for me. And became one of my new favorites on this record, and um, that that bass part that Shane put together so so wonderfully that climbed down the scales into the next part. I actually tried to um, tried to emphasize more by adding strings along the same pattern. So I tried to bring that part up for you, buddy. If you can hear me out there, hope you like it. Thank you guys for listening to Safe is Just a Podcast. Be on the lookout for more episodes coming soon.